This sermon was preached by Bob G. and Sarah, head pastor of Grace and Truth in Hartsdale, New York. Grace and Truth was planted in 2002 and is seeking to reach North Yonkers and Westchester County. You can find more sermons from this series and many others at www.gntchurch.org. Please feel free to distribute this sermon to friends and family, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Please pay attention to the word. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for this privilege and opportunity we have to worship you on this Christmas morning, this Christmas day. And Lord, we recognize that uh, the greatest way we could worship you is by listening to you. And we listen to you by going to your word. And so, Lord Jesus, we ask that you give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, that you would illuminate the text before us, Holy Spirit, and that we may truly grasp and know your will and your purpose for us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I got a question for you to start today. What do Muslims, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and liberal Christian theologians all hold in common? Name one thing that they all hold in common. Let me see if I can get someone to raise your hand. They're anti-Trinitarian, yes, but not close enough, Bob. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Bob. Well done. Well done. You were close, James. You were close because denying the Trinity is in par with that. They all deny that Jesus is God. And what they fail to understand is that Jesus himself claimed to be God in the flesh. Muslims believe that he was a significant prophet after Muhammad, uh, and they even think he was a greater prophet than Muhammad to some extent. Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was created uh, uh, as a created creature, his being, or the Archangel Michael. Uh, Liberal Christian thinkers affirm that he was a great teacher, possibly the greatest teacher who ever lived. But none of these groups believe that the Lord God Almighty took on flesh 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus Christ, And none of these groups believe that Jesus claimed to be deity. This is something that makes the Christian gospel unique. It is something that binds us together in this belief, in this understanding, this fundamental truth of the Christian faith that God became a man. That is what Christmas is all about. And while Christmas time is enjoyable, there's something enchanting about the festive atmosphere. There's something nice about the, the shows on television, the music we listen to. In the end of the day, it all kind of stimulates our carnal, our earthly aspect of our being. But does nothing for our inward being. To really grasp and, and to spiritually savor the meaning of Christmas, we must focus on and think about the incarnation of Christ. It is the greatest miracle of all if you think about it. 
That God, the creator, the invisible God that the heavens cannot contain, who's omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, the Lord God Almighty who the angels bow before became a human being. It didn't just appear out of heaven in an adult human body, but, but entered himself into the womb of a young girl and developed just like we all developed as, 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 a, as, a, as a baby in his mother's womb and came into this world born under the law, born of a woman and suffered all the indignities of humanity. He didn't just come to a, a, a human race. It would have been one thing if Christ came down to this earth and the human race was, was a good race, a, of decent people prior to the fall. But he came to a sinful, sinful world among sinful people and suffered the indignities of human life. It's hard to grasp that, which is why theologians refer to the incarnation and refer to this aspect of Christ coming to the world as his humiliation. Among theologians and scholars, the humiliation of Christ is in several steps, where first Christ came down to this earth. He was born of a woman, but then he lived as a human being and suffered, and his ultimate, the epitome of his humiliation was to suffer and die on the cross. And that is, in every aspect, in every meaning of the word, humiliating, that the Creator would become the creation and live amongst us filthy, dirty sinners. Christmas is really about God's rescue plan being initiated. God's rescue plan was set forth, and it could only be set forth by Jesus coming to this world, by the Son of God taking on human flesh. As the angel announced to Mary, He will save His people from His sins. It was the purpose of the incarnation, and therefore, fundamental to the gospel and in today's passage we're going to be looking at the humiliation of christ as the apostle paul expounds on it and how it applies to us he's writing this to the church for for a simple purpose he's writing to christians with the purpose you need to be humble guys you need to prefer others above yourself you need to serve one another and not be selfish and he sets forth jesus christ as the ultimate example and pattern of what humility is. See, we think of humiliation as being embarrassed or, you know, being caught in a situation that that doesn't shine us in a good light. But humiliating here, it means that Christ humbled himself willingly and put himself in a situation where his he was not so much embarrassed, but humiliated and demoted from his rightful state as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords ruling in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And so today, this text, which is originally an ethical text, it's not a theological text, it's an ethical text that sets the pattern before us of how we're to live as Christians, we're going to explore the theology of it because there the Bible tells us who Jesus really is. And then the first thing we need to understand is that Jesus is God. All right? And this is the awe. You know, this is what makes Christmas awe-inspiring. This makes Christmas deep. It makes Christmas profound. Is that God, the Creator, God who has no beginning, no end, the triune God would send His Son to dwell amongst us, to become a man. And we must consider the divine origin of Christ. You see, there's this misunderstanding. We think that, oh, Christ was born, or, or that the Son of God was born 2,000 years ago, in a, in, a, in a stable. That's not true. 
Now the Christ was born. In other words, the, the, the Son of God came into being with his divine nature and his human nature at that point in history. But prior to the birth of Christ, prior to him being conceived in his mother's womb, the Son of God existed in heaven forever and ever without beginning and without end as one of the three persons of the divine trinity. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, did not come into being or created at the birth. And that's, that's why it's wrong to say, in a sense, that Mary is the mother of God. Because God doesn't have a mother or a father. God always was. He is the God of I am. And so therefore, we must look at the divine origin of Christ before the worlds existed, before the time existed, what John calls the Lagos, the Word of God. And there he referenced the eternal existence of the Son of God. And this is what is implied in Paul's passage here. In verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God. That phrase, though he was in the form of God. Here the Apostle Paul is describing to us the essence of Christ, his very nature. The word he chose to use here in Greek, the word form, literally translate morphe. And, it, and it's a little nuanced. It's hard to translate into English. But the word morphe, uh, mean, it doesn't necessarily mean form the way we think. We think of a cookie cutter or making a duplicate of something. The word morphe has to do with a deep, inner, essential, abiding nature of something. In this case, when, when Paul says that though he was in the form of God, Paul is really saying is that Jesus was in God. He was the very nature of God, the essence of God in himself. In fact, even the term there, the phrase, he was, he was. We look at that in the English as stating it merely in the past tense. But again, the original Greek is more nuanced than that. The word for existing or to be is not the usual Greek verb to be here, but is the Greek word hyparchon, which is found in a form used to for both the present and imperfect participle. What does that mean? It means it carries the meaning of continued existence. The thought is that Christ always has been in the form of God, is in the form of God, and always will be in the form of God, that his very essence and very nature is divine. What Paul is saying here is that the constant and unchangeable nature of Christ belong to God. He is the great I am, which is why he could say in John 8, 58 to the Pharisees before Abraham was, I am. He's referring to the revelation of God in Exodus 3.14 when Moses says, Who shall I say sent me? Tell them I am sent you. It is the state of being, the eternal existence of God. God is. He not was. He not will be. God simply is and always was and always will be. The New Testament affirms this. The New Testament affirms that Jesus Christ existed uh, before his birth as the eternal son of God. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 through 19. Listen, it says he is the image of the invisible God. You know what that means? If you see Jesus, Jesus, then you've seen God. He told Philip in John 14, Philip says, show us the father and it suffices. And John, uh, Jesus says to Philip, 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 have I been with you long enough? If you've seen me, you've seen the father. He is the image of the invisible God. 
the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. All things were created through him and for him. The Son of God is the agent of creation. The Father willed creation to existence, but Jesus Christ, before his birth 2,000 years ago, was the agent. He brought everything to being for himself, through himself, to himself. It tells us, and he is before all things. In him things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, listen to this, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God, all the fullness of God's essential nature was pleased to dwell in the body of Christ, in his physical being. Hebrews 1.3 tells us clearly that he who was the brightness of his glory and is the express image of his person, the King James Version says. And so I think we establish this idea that Jesus is God, he is divine. But the key that Paul wants us to see here is he didn't consider it a thing to be grasped. Notice what he says here in verse 5. Notice what he says, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Well, what, what does that mean, that he didn't consider his equality with God a thing to be grasped? The word grasp in its original language uh, meant literally robbery or a thing seized by robbery. So to grasp something was if you saw something and you took it and snatched it for yourself, you were a thief, you are a crook. It was to, to grab something and take it and run with it. And what we're saying here is, and Paul using this word is important because it eventually came to have a deeper meaning in its etymology as meaning anything clutched, embraced, held tightly, prized, or clung to. In other words, what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ didn't hold on to his equality with God. It wasn't something that he insisted on. Well, I'm God, don't you know it? Remember what he said to Pilate? He said, if I want to, I can call angels right now from heaven and they could kill you and all your men. But my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. Christ at any moment could have insisted on his deity, insisted on his right, but willingly forsook the rights and privilege and glory that came with being the son of God when he became man. That is what we call humiliating. It is humbling. He did not lay hold or claim his right. He was willing to abandon all of his rights. He was willing to abandon his privileges. He was willing to abandon his glory. And this demonstrates the pure honor of Christ. It represents the pure character of Christ that he did not have to seek out praise and glory. It was his by right, and he temporarily gave it up for a purpose. Now this has many applications, but the first and foremost application that Jesus is indeed God. And although he is no longer on this earth, he's in heaven, he does tell us that all power in heaven and earth belong to him. You see, you have to look at the second part of this, is that Christ was exalted to the highest place in heaven, and we owe him our worship. But more, but, but, but the ethical point of this, and what, what Paul is trying to tell us here, is that if Jesus, who was God, who is God, and has all the rights of being God, kind of didn't hold on to that title, didn't hold on to those rights when he became a man, then we as Christians should humble ourselves 
and not hold on so tightly to what we think is owed to us. Right? If there's one thing I know about Americans, one thing I know about Americans, Americans know their rights, don't we? We know our constitutional rights. We know our freedoms. We know our liberties, right? But how often are we willing to give up those freedoms and liberties for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of someone else? How often are we willing to, to let go of our claims to honor and respect? Well, you must respect me. Do you know who I am? You know, we, we, we think we deserve certain respect from other people and we demand it. We insist that people show us honor, show us respect. And what the scripture here is teaching us, Paul's telling the church, he's telling us, is if Jesus was willing to let go of all that, then we should have no... In fact, how much more? Jesus is God. We're sinners. We deserve no honor. We deserve no glory. We deserve no respect. When we truly understand who we are before God, how can we demand and insist that others pay homage to us when at the end of the day, we're no better than our fellow man? Amen? Amen. Secondly, the second thing we have to realize here is that not only is Jesus God, but he became a man. He became a man. There was a point in history at the right time Jesus became a man. The Son of God became a human being. And we all know the story of how it happened as was portrayed for us by the children here today. But there is so much more to this. Notice what it says here in verse 7. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. So let's look at this. The first thing we want to look at and understand is that, and I want you to stop for a minute and think about this, because when we think about Jesus coming from heaven to live on earth, to the, I mean, it's so profound, we can't get it. Imagine you are the richest king in the world. Imagine you're a wealthy, wealthy, multi-billionaire. You're a king and everybody serves you. And I mean, let's just, I mean, we don't really have no one in the world like that today. But just imagine you are the most powerful, wealthiest man on the earth. And, and all of a sudden, you decide to give all that up and go live as a, as a, as a beggar, as a, as a homeless person, and dwell amongst the lowest dregs of, of society. How many people would be willing to do that? You know, we're ambitious as people, aren't we? We're, always, we're upwardly mobile. Aren't, isn't that true? Right? That we, we want to improve our circumstances, get a better job, live in a better neighborhood, our, our goal in life is to rise from, the, from rags to riches. How many people do you see that make it their ambition and goal in life to go from riches to rags? Very few. But that's precisely the mystery. That's precisely the profundity of the incarnation, that Jesus gave up the riches to go to rags. There was nothing upwardly mobile. It was downwardly for Christ. That's why we call it his humiliation. So the first thing we want to mention here, verse 7, says that and there are two aspects we're going to look at here. First is the divesting of his glory, the emptying of himself. We're going to look at that. And secondly, the form he took, the form of a servant. So the first thing we want to look at is this emptying of himself. It says he emptied himself uh, um, by taking the form of a servant. What, what do we mean by emptying himself? Now the word here in Greek mean is kenosis. It literally means an emptying, a pouring out from a vessel. And uh, however, this word has caused much controversy among Christians. Uh, Enlightenment era Christians and theologians, scholars, I don't want to say they're Christians, but I would just say the Enlightenment liberal era scholars uh, saw this as an idea that Jesus kind of gave up or divested himself of his divinity. 
Um, and so he gave up some divine attributes. Did he give up the divine attribute of omnipresence or omnipotence or omniscience? And usually they'll say that Christ gave up those those incommunicable attributes that belong to God alone when he became a man. And they view this idea that he emptied himself or, or divested himself of these qualities. But there is a problem here because if we... We, we take that at face value, then, then Jesus ceases to be God, doesn't he? Doesn't he? And so what does the... To understand what the text is really saying, we have to understand what it does not say. It does not say that he emptied himself of divine attributes. To say that would mean Jesus is less than God. We must make that clear. In fact, listen to scholar John Wolvard. He says, first, it is impossible to surrender an attribute without changing the character of the essence to which it belongs. To rob sunlight of any of its various colors would change the character of the sunlight. To rob God of any attribute would destroy his deity. Hence, if Christ did not possess all the attributes of the Godhead, it could not be said that he possessed true deity. As the attributes belong to the essence, it is impossible to subtract any attributes without changing the character of the essence of God. End quote. And clearly, I think the New Testament shows that Jesus possessed these attributes. In John 1.48, he saw Nathaniel under the fig tree from a distance. He wasn't there at the time, but we could see omnipresence, that the presence of Christ was there, uh, uh, understanding and seeing Nathaniel praying under the fig tree. In John 2.24, it tells us that he knows what's in men's hearts. And that was in his earthly ministry. He could look into the hearts and minds of people. And his omnipotence is clearly demonstrated by his ability and his performing of all the miracles. From the changing of the weather patterns, to the raising of the dead, to healing of those who've been blind from birth, to, to his own resurrection, which was the epitome of his power of God. And so we clearly see that Jesus did not empty himself of his divinity or his divine attributes, or if so, he would cease to be God. So what did he empty himself of? Well, I think the King James Version and the NIV kind of give a better translation of this. The King James says he made himself of no reputation. He made himself of no reputation. The NIV says he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing. He did not empty himself of being God in nature or essence, but he emptied himself of the manner of existence that is equal to God. It's in connection with the previous verse. He didn't consider equality with thing with God a thing to be grasped. So what did he empty himself of? He emptied himself of his glory and splendor. Right? When Jesus, before he was born, he existed in heaven. The angels worshipped him. He commanded and it was done. He was, he was exalted uh, at the right hand of the Father. He dwelt in the, in the beauty and the glory of heaven. He gave that all up. He gave that all up and veiled his pre-incarnate glory with human flesh. And notice the text says this. He, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. The word by there is important. By becoming a human being, he gave up all that he had prior to his incarnation. He gave it all up and he did it for us. Think about that. He gave up everything for us. You know, we're... You know, when you really think about this, what are the implications? You know, are we willing to give up just a little bit of our time, a little bit of our comfort, a little bit of our convenience for the sake of others? 
even worse, how often we're unwilling to give of ourselves for the Lord who gave so much for us. Secondly, he gave up the right to exercise his independent authority. Verse 8 says he was obedient to the point of death. When Jesus came to this world, he completely surrendered his will to the will of the Father. He did nothing apart from what the Father wanted him to do. When he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, Not my will, but thy will be done. When he asked if it was possible that the cross could be turned away. In his own humanity, and his own suffering, he willingly gave up his ability, his, his independent authority to exercise as the sovereign Lord. Thirdly, he gave up the riches of heaven. He was born as a king, but he wasn't born in the manner of kings. He was born in a stinking stable with a poor family in an unseemly manner. As I said before, 2 Corinthians 8, 5, Though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, that through his poverty we may become rich. And fourthly, he gave up his divine prerogative. He gave up his divine prerogative. He never completely relinquished his deity, okay? But what he did do was determine that he would not use his deity and his divine attributes for his own purposes. For example, when Jesus was in the wilderness and he was tempted by Satan, Satan said, if you're the son of God, turn those stones into bread. Remember how hungry Jesus was? He was fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Of course Jesus could have toned, turned stones to bread. It would have been simple as a thought coming into his mind and it could have been done. But Jesus chose willingly to empty himself, to give up that privilege that he could do whatever he wants for his own glory. Just like he said to Pilate, I can call the angels of heaven and they will fight for me now. He used his divine attributes for one purpose, for the good of others and for the glory of the Father. When we truly understand it, it's... it's when you really get into the humiliation, when you really get into the incarnation of Christ, it's unfathomable, the deeper implications of the incarnation. It also tells us that he became a man. He took the form of a servant and was born in the likeness of man. Now, the form of a servant, again, the word morphe is used here again. So it doesn't mean that he necessarily appeared outwardly as a servant, but inwardly he was not. No, it, it describes to us, as the word Morphe says, his essential nature. Jesus didn't merely pretend to be a servant, but he became a servant. It was part of his essential being and nature. Mark 10.45 tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He demonstrated this the night before his death, in a very humiliating manner, by getting on his knees as a common household slave and washing the filthy feet of his disciples, which was a job relegated for the lowest dregs of society. No king, no person with any dignity would do something and stoop so low and humble, humiliate themselves so low. But he did that because that was just a picture of even worse. He would humiliate himself to the point of death, even on the cross. And by the way, nothing, nothing was more humiliating. Nothing was more embarrassing. Nothing was more disgraceful than death on the cross. Not only was it the most excruciating and painful and sorrowful form of death that has ever existed in history, but it was completely embarrassing. You hung there naked. When we see Jesus in pictures or movies, they cover his 
his private region in those um, when, when it's depicted dramatically. But in real life, Jesus was stripped naked, exposed of his flesh, bleeding everywhere. It was utterly disgraceful and humiliating. He took the form of a servant and he gave his life as a ransom for many. He did not exchange his deity for that of a servant, but rather he put on or took in in addition to his divine nature the form of a servant. It's amazing. The Son of God gave up his clothes of majesty for the rags of a slave. And this was demonstrating Jesus' life. It wasn't just in the washing of the feet. It wasn't just the cross, but by his selfless, self-deprecating life, dedicating himself to the serving and ministering of others instead of himself. His whole life was lived for others. Jesus didn't work to earn money to get a nice house. He lived like a poor man. Every day of his life was at the expense and the service of other people. He worked himself to the bone, exhausted every day, serving and healing and teaching and ministering. His whole life was a life that was completely void of any selfish ambition. He had the life of a servant. Secondly, he was born in the likeness of man. Jesus clothed himself with human flesh. He literally became a human being. Unlike the Docetists and the Gnostics of the first century who said Jesus just merely appeared as a human being. No, he literally became a human being with real flesh, with real bones, with real blood. And you know what that means? It means that Jesus lived and suffered all the sufferings of human life. He knew what it was to hunger. He got hungry. His stomach pained. He knew what it was to thirst. He knew what it was to get exhausted and tired. He knew pain and suffering. He probably hurt himself a few times in his life with his hammer as a carpenter. He knew what a sore thumb would feel like. He knew what it was to have an aching back. He knew what it was to be hurt emotionally when the apostles all abandoned him, when everybody turned their back on him at the cross. He knew what it was to feel lonely. He knew what it was to feel sad. He knew what it was to weep. He took on our very human experience, but without sinning. Amazing. But it was necessary. Jesus had to become a human being if he was going to atone for sin and reconcile us. You see, Adam was our first representative. And when Adam sinned, all humanity in Adam is imputed with his sin and guilt. And therefore, all human beings are sinners by nature, are sinners by practice. And as the Bible tells us, we are all worthy of death. The wages of sin is death. We all deserve to die. We all deserve the punishment of God because we've all lived apart from God. And so Jesus had to become a human being to be the second Adam, to be be a, a new representative for a new human race. And he, unlike Adam, perfectly obeyed God's law. He perfectly kept the commandments. And he willingly gave himself as a substitute. When Jesus died on the cross for him to be an acceptable substitute, he had to be human like us. No other death could suffice. He had to die like us. He had to bleed like us. He had to be suffer like us on that cross. He had to bear our sins, to bear our guilt. If Jesus didn't become a human being, then there would be no good news. There would be no gospel. There would be no sins forgiven. There would be no way to heaven. Jesus' death on the cross was absolutely necessary to pay for sin. He had to become a man. You know, it's interesting. 
What does the Bible say in Genesis 1.26? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And yet here it tells us the Son of God came into the world to become one of us. He came in the likeness of a human being. Just as we bear the image of God in its tarnished and fallen way, Christ came and bore the image of man to become like us. Hebrews 2.17 tells us this, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and high priest and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of his people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see that it was necessary that he become like us in every respect, but unlike us in this one respect. Every one of us has one human father and one human mother, right? Jesus has one human mother, so that retains the Adamic nature. But without a human father, the seed, the sinful seed of Adam is avoided. The Holy Spirit conceived in Mary. And so therefore, by, by imparting the divine nature to the human nature, the transmission of original sin is interrupted. And therefore, Jesus is a full human being and fully God. That is the miracle of Christmas. And there's no other way possible, there's no other way possible that Jesus could have become our representative and died in our place. And that brings us to our third and final point, that Christ humbled himself. You see, humility was not without a purpose, as we just demonstrated But out of his humiliation, we could see that the primary reason was the cross. Being found in the appearance of man. Now the word here uh, is schema. And, and, And unlike morphe, which talks about one's inward essence, the external appearance... Uh, is is translated here from schema. It's temporal, it's transitional. See, even though Jesus was the Son of God incarnate and he was seen by people as simply the carpenter's son, he really was disguised. His true nature was veiled. And it was only on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter and John and James saw his true visible glory. Remember when they went up to the mountain and all of a sudden Christ just appeared in majesty? After the resurrection... Christ is in his infinite glory. Father, John 17, 5, return me to the glory I once shared with you before I came here. I'm paraphrasing that. You get into Revelation and you see a picture of Christ that is just blazing with shining glory so bright that John falls to his face as though dead. Jesus took in his his incarnation the appearance of a human being, but now he is a glorified glorified human God. I say that he's fully, still fully human, still fully God. He retains his, his glorified human body, but he's in the fullness of his divine glory. It's something that's so hard to conceive, but it's true, and we take it by faith. You know, the real point here is the humility. It's, the, it's that Jesus humbled himself to the point of death, and it was all or the cross. It was all to point us to that one event that would change history forever. Apart from that, the incarnation is unnecessary. And apart from that, Christmas has no meaning. I was recently reading an article by Kirsten Powers. 
Um, she's a, a journalist, and she writes uh, posts in uh, um, USA Today and other areas, and she's been around the news. And, and she had a remarkable conversion. She was an atheist liberal for most of her life. She grew up in an atheist home. And, and she, was, um, she was converted recently under uh, Tim Keller's ministry at Redeemer Presbyterian. And she put out an article this week, and, and, and just to paraphrase, she said, Since I've become a Christian, Christmas is ruined for me. And she said that because in coming to Christ, in coming to the gospel, all those things that she thought were fun and, and giddy really were obscuring the true meaning of Christmas. You know, I think we put Christ to the side, we put him on the periphery, and we put Santa Claus as the focus. And, and parents, you know, I urge you, you know, you could do whatever you want with Santa, this and that, but, but let them know, as I told my kids this year, Jesus Christ is greater than Santa Claus. Jesus Christ gives us all good gifts. He sees us when we're sleeping. He knows when we're awake. So you better be good for Jesus Christ's sake. <laughs> Christmas without a cross is not Christmas at all. The incarnation without the cross is not Christmas at all. The reason for the season is that Jesus came to this world not so we could continually keep him as a baby in a manger, but Jesus Christ came to this world as a baby. He grew up. He grew in wisdom and stature. He became a man. He dwelt amongst us. He lived a real human life. He kept God's law perfectly, and he died on a cross. He humbled himself to the point of death. You know, at any point, he could have said, Hold on. Don't you know who I am? I am the Son of God. You can't crucify me. Shot lightning out of his hands and killed everyone. But he did not do that. He humbled himself to the point of death. Even death, as scandalous as it is, death on the cross. I want you to take a minute to soak that in. But here's the good news. Verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus' exult, Jesus' humiliation didn't end with humiliation, but began as he reached the lowest point of his death when he was buried in Joseph's cave. It tells us that he rose from the dead three days, which was the beginning of his exaltation. And after he rose from the dead, he walked amongst us for 40 days, and then he ascended to heaven, and he is seated at the right hand of glory and power of God the Father, and all the angels worship him again, and we ought to worship him. We ought to worship Jesus Christ, because if you do not bow your knee and humble yourself and worship him now, you will one day. Because it says, every knee will worship and bow before the Lord. That means all those who I mentioned before, all the Muslims, all the Jehovah's Witnesses, all the Mormons who deny the deity of Christ, their knee will bow one day. All the secular atheists and all the liberals who want to say, who want to attack Christmas and attack Christianity will bow their knee before Christ one day. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and the final expression of His exaltation is when He returns. He's coming back to this world as we've been preaching on. The second advent of Christ, and it will be 
much more glorious. It will not be a, a stable birth. It will not be in a manger. It will be in the clouds of the sky and every eye will see and everybody will know that Jesus is Lord. All right, let me end with these two, these few applications. One, I don't know what you got for Christmas. If you got nothing, don't complain because you've already got the greatest gift of all. The gift of eternal life. Alright? It tells us in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus of Lord. If you've come to faith in Christ, if you believed in Him, then you have the greatest gift of all. You have the life of God dwelling in you, and you're going to live forever with God in heaven. That is better than who cares what you didn't get or got for Christmas. Even if you got an expensive TV or something really cool or a diamond ring, it's nothing compared to the gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. Treasure Christ above all else. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, if you've not been born again, if you've not humbled yourself, if you've not truly accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, please do now. Repent of your sin. Turn from your selfish ways. Turn from the the emptiness of this world and turn to Christ who is the giver of life, the giver of abundant life, who will give you joy and peace inexpressible that's nothing you could understand in this world. Jesus died for you. He came to this world to die for you so that you may live. My second application. My second application is very simple. The whole point of Paul's passage is that it would be an ethical lesson for us. If we are Christians, then we follow Christ. We hold his name, right? If we are his disciples and we're his students, we're his followers, then students be like your teacher. Disciples, be like your master. If you say Jesus is your Lord, then act like it. You know what that means? Well, go back to Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. That's what Christmas is all about. You want to know what the real meaning here is of the season? Be like Jesus. We're called to follow Christ, to follow his example. He came to show us. He didn't come just to be a servant, to put on a show, but he left us an example to follow. That means don't just live for yourself and what I'm going to do and what I'm going to accomplish and just ambition and about me, 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 me. That's an empty, meaningless life. And it's a life that leads to eternal death. But live, put others ahead of yourself. Even if it hurts, because you know what? It hurt Jesus to put us ahead of him. It hurt him so much he bled and died. Guess what? Putting others ahead of yourself hurts. But that's a good thing. Jesus said, if you're my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. Cross means dying to yourself. It means dying to your selfish ambition. It means dying to your self-serving pleasures. It means living at your expense for the good of others. The way of the world tells you, live for the good of yourself at the expense of other people. Jesus tells us, live for the good of others at the expense of yourself. That is true Christianity. All the other stuff, all the external religion is worthless in God's sight. It's the heart that really matters. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Doctrines of Grace Church Planners. If you would like to learn more about Doctrines of Grace Church Planners, 
or support our church planning efforts in the New York City area, please visit www.dg-cp.org.